Hey, good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville. Invite all of you, if you would, to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3. This morning we're continuing in our No Going Back series. We've been in this, uh, uh, the book of Hebrews now for a few weeks. It's a book all about challenging us in our faith uh, to keep pressing forward towards Christ. It's always tempting to just give in when times get hard and just go back. Uh, and yet, as Christians, we must press forward uh, towards Christ. So that's what this book is all about. And we pick it up here in chapter 3, and we're going to start uh, with verse 1. I'm only going to read down through verse 6, though we're going to cover a little more ground than that, uh, Lord willing. So if you're able to stand, would you please do so And all of our locations as we honor the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, the writer says, Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as a builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Would you pray for me and with me? Let's ask God, come, come talk to us. Come meet us here as we look to his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together now as, as we come to your word. Uh, there's so many things as we gather that's good for our soul to, to sing, to pray, uh, to listen to your voice as you teach us through the scriptures. So I pray, God, that I'd be faithful to what this passage says, um, that, that you have breathed out for our good, that we might know you more and press on uh, forward in our faith. So come and do that, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. 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 Please be seated. It takes focus to finish well. It takes focus to finish well. That was the lesson that Jackson Soltz learned the hard way. Uh, Jackson was an American sprinter in the 1920s and 30s, uh, and he had quite an impressive career. He was the first person to reach the Olympic final in three straight Olympics, a multiple gold medal winner. Uh, in fact, at one point, Jackson was considered to be the fastest man in the world. It's what uh, gave him the nickname, the Thunderbolt. But the lesson that he learned... In the 1920 Olympics was something that he would never forget. He was racing against another runner and fellow teammate by the name of Charlie Paddock. He'd already beaten Paddock in the 200 meter earlier, and so he was the odds-on favorite to win again in the 100 meter. The race began. Schultz jumped out to the lead. It looked like that the same thing was going to happen again, that he was clearly going to win the race. But as he started getting closer to the line, he could feel the pressure of, of Paddock getting closer. And as he could feel that pressure, he did what you are never supposed to do. He looked back. 
He turned ever so slightly to see how close Paddock was, and as he did, Paddock leaned forward just enough to beat him at the line. Schultz lost the gold because he lost his focus. A similar thing happened just a few years ago uh, with a runner in the University of Oregon. He jumps out to this big lead, loses his focus, starts uh, looking out to the crowd, and loses the race right at the line. In fact, the difference was a tenth of a second. You see, faith family, it takes focus to finish well. Now, you and I know how important focus is. That's not just true in sports. Focus is important in so many different areas of life. For instance, you need focus when you're driving. Uh, You need focus when you're studying for an exam. You hope that your doctor has focus when, uh, when he or she is performing surgery on you. Leaders need focus when they're leading an organization. And and maybe most importantly of all, you got to have focus when you're kicking that game-winning field goal. (laughs) Too soon? Too soon? You all right, Lakeville? We good? Okay. Seriously, a tie? What a bunch of losers. Anyways. (laughs) The point is... We all know how important focus is. Focus is important to finishing well. Now, that's hard for us to do. And it's hard because we live in a world of distractions. We live in a phone ringing, text messaging, email sending, kids screaming, job changing, errand running, Twitter posting. Oh, look, a shiny object world. I mean, that, that is like a picture of our life. We are constantly running and going and answering this and going to that. And it's easy to lose focus on what matters most. Or let me say it this way. It's easy to lose focus, Christian, on Christ. That is exactly what has happened to these Hebrew Christians. It's why you should be noticing by now that focus is one of the main themes that we see in this book. Go back to chapter 2 and verse 1. The author says, therefore, we must do what? Pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Look at chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him, but we see Him. That is, we have to focus on Christ. Look at chapter 3, verse 1, our passage for this morning. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider, this is the command, consider Jesus. Look to Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, that is, Pay attention, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This is a theme throughout the book of Hebrews. You must focus. It is in a very real sense like the author is channeling his inner uh, Mr. Miyagi. That is exactly what is happening in the book of Hebrews. 
I mean, picture that, that, that image. The, the, the Hebrew Christians, they're down on the mat. Suffering has, has hit them. They've taken it on the chin, and, and, and they feel very much like that. I just want to quit. I just want to stop. I just want to go back to Judaism so that life will be easier. I don't think I can take another step. And the author's preaching this sermon and writing this letter to say, hey, focus. Focus on Jesus. Remember what you've heard. Don't lose sight of the gospel. Because focus is critical to finishing well. Look at what he says. If you lose your focus, you're going to compromise. Verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, here's the focus idea, consider Jesus. That's the command of the text. The apostle and high priest of our confession who was faithful to him, who appointed him just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Now, the author here now brings up Moses. Now, you have to understand that going back to Judaism was going back to things like the law, going back to the priest, going back to the, the animal sacrificial system. All of those things were things that were given through who? Talk to me, Lakeville. Moses. These were the things that came to the Jewish people through Moses. In other words, to go back to them was in a real way going back to Moses. Now, for most of us Gentile folk, we don't really get the, the whole deal with Moses. Oh, we, we've heard a Sunday school story or two before. We know he's an important character in the Bible, but we don't tend to hold Moses in high regard the way the Jewish people would. He was kind of a big deal to them. After all, Moses was protected as a child, reared in the finest education in Egypt, called to lead Israel out of Egypt, only the most important event in their history led them across the sea, was given the commandments at Sinai, which we call the law of Moses. You're paying attention. Good. Spoke to the people on behalf of God, spoke to God on behalf of the people, met with God as a friend, wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, and was a man of great humility. There, to the Jewish faith, is no one more important than Moses. You don't turn away from Moses. Right? You, you, you don't go to Christianity and leave Moses in the first place. And I thought, how do I get you to feel what that would be like in kind of a Jewish mindset? And it would be, I'm not commenting on the issue. I'm just trying to get you to feel the emotion. It would be the way that some of you feel when you see people that, that do not salute the flag, that kind of an emotion. It would be the way in some cultures you would feel if you weren't respecting your ancestors. It would be the way maybe some would feel in their family if somebody married outside your family values. Uh, it might be if you follow a sports team when your favorite player goes and plays for your rival. You know, it, and I know those illustrations don't quite get the full gist of the point, but it's, it's this idea. That's unthinkable. You, as a Jewish person, don't leave Moses. And so they're feeling that pull to come back. And the writer is saying, I don't mean any disrespect about old Mo. He's a good guy, but he doesn't compare to Jesus. Verse 3. 
For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that would be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So he's comparing here the idea of going back to Moses versus pressing on in faith toward Jesus. And he's like, it's not even a comparison. Hello, Jesus is the builder of the house. Moses is just a part of it. Now, who's greater? Obviously, there wouldn't even be a Moses without Jesus. There wouldn't even be an Israel. You would have even had a law. None of those things that were a part of God's house that he was building in redemptive history would even exist without the builder of it, which is Jesus. As if that wasn't enough. Secondly, Jesus is the son of God. Moses was just a servant of God. Now, in an ancient Near Eastern household, this is obvious. We don't get this quite as much today, but the one that received all the inheritance, the one that had the highest status was a son, not a servant. Well, Jesus is the son. Moses, while important, was just a servant in this whole thing. And then lastly, Jesus is the testimony. Moses is the testifier. <laughs> Moses' entire role was to prepare you for Jesus. Why would you go back to the one who was pointing you all along to Christ? Don't you see his role was to testify to something of things that would be spoken of later? Well, what was that? Well, the New Testament tells us. John 1, 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom, talk to me, Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Look at uh, John chapter 5, verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father, Jesus says. There is actually one who accuses you. He's talking to Jewish people. Moses. Oh, to see their facial expression. You talk about being offended. Jesus just went there. He said, Moses actually accuses you on whom you've put your hope. Why? If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. One more, Luke 24, 44 says, then Jesus said to them, these are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Come on, Hebrew Christians, to miss Jesus is to completely misunderstand Moses. Focus! Don't you see that going back to Moses, while a good thing, is compromise? It is compromising your faith. And that's where I think some of you probably would come in here today and at Lakeville and, and you're thinking, I just don't relate to today's message. Man, I picked the wrong Sunday to go to church because I've never struggled with going back to Moses. <laughs> it's never been an issue in my life. Some of you are like, well, I got to cancel the tattoo appointment of my Moses tattoo this afternoon. Take all my Moses posters down from my living room. Like this is not an issue we think is relevant to us at all. And you'd be wrong because the principle of what is happening here is absolutely true for us as well. And here it is. When we lose our focus spiritually, we settle 
for a good substitute rather than a great Savior. Lakeville, amen that. Okay, I just want you to know that. We settle for a good sub. Moses is a good thing. He's a faithful servant. We're not, we're not speaking bad of old Mo. He's a good guy. But it's compromised to go to him rather than to put your focus on Jesus. That will preach. You see, faith family, the compromise in faith is always subtle. It's always so subtle. Rarely is it, you know, today I'm going to leave Jesus and I'm going to go straight to crack. That is usually not the shift that takes place, okay? Maybe there's a couple of you it happened that way, but it tends to be a lot more subtle than that. It tends to be, I'm just going to take my focus off the great one of Christ, and I'm going to put it on some very good things in my life. I'm going to focus on my family. I'm going to focus on my vocation and building my career. I'm going to focus on all my activities at church. I'm going to focus on my spouse. After all, pastor, aren't those good things? Yes, they are. And that's the point. You ready? Look at it on the screen. Good things are great sins when they have more of your focus than Jesus. Good things are great sins when they have more of your focus than Jesus. And some of you here today need to focus. Because you've got your attention on really good things in your life but they don't come close to a great Savior. They don't even come close to a great Savior. As you know, one of my favorite books, Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis, it's a fictional book uh, that's a correspondence between two uh, demons about how they can go about tripping up Christians and impacting them and their, uh, their, their faith in God. Here's what one um, kind of episode in the book says, quote, Make him, that is the Christian, waste his time. In other words, don't start with crack. Start with getting him to waste his time. Just get his attention off of God. Get it on conversation that he enjoys with people that he likes and conversations with those that he cares nothing about on subjects that bore him. You can make him do nothing for long periods of time. All the outgoing activities which we want him to avoid can be inhibited so that he'll say this, now I see that I spent most of my life in doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. Remember, the only thing that matters, listen, listen, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from God. It doesn't matter how small the sins provided their accumulative effect is to edge him away from the light. Murder is no better than cards, if cards will do the trick. Because the safest road to hell is the gradual one. When you take your focus off Jesus, it's so easy to compromise. Good things that are not ultimate things 
begin to capture your attention. And then the author says the, the problem with that kind of compromise, the, the problem with that kind of drift is it ends up in a place where you become calloused before God. Look at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and I saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways, and I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. This is brilliant. Of course, it's inspired of God, so of course it's brilliant. But look at what the author is doing. He's quoting a psalm, Psalm 95, that these readers would have understood and known very, very well. In fact, this psalm was the call to worship in temple worship. Not, don't harden your heart today as you hear the word of God. Now, this psalm reflects on, follow me, faith family, it reflects on how Israel experienced the saving grace of God. God brought them out of Egypt. God did miraculous things and gave them blessing after blessing. But when times got hard, so did their heart. When times got difficult, their heart became hardened. And what the author is saying... If you're not careful, that story is going to repeat itself in your life. What did Israel do as they were wandering in the wilderness? They lost their focus on the finish line. They looked back. God had promised them the promised land, but Israel got distracted because of how difficult things were there, because of the size of opponents that they were having to face in life, because of wondering how will they eat their next meal. And all of this hardship made them stop listening to God. Jot this down if you're taking notes. Oh man, this, this, will pre this is so practical and I hope this is helpful for you. When you lose focus, you stop listening. When you lose focus, you stop listening. You know this. You've experienced this, right? Have you ever been in that conversation where it was very obvious that the other person wasn't listening? You're pouring your heart out. You're telling them your whole story, and it's just obvious they don't care at all, right? You've been there. You've had that conversation. They have zoned out, and this is the question that you tend to ask in those situations. Did you hear what I just said? Some of you are like, that happened this morning, right? Did you hear? Did you hear what I just said? In other words, you zoned out on me right here, Blakeville, everybody. When you lose focus, you don't listen. The reason why he or she didn't hear what you said is because they weren't focused on you. Their mind was preoccupied with something else. Now jot this down. When your ears stop listening, eventually your heart becomes hardened. That is, you stop listening long enough to the point that you don't care anymore. You stop listening long enough to the point that you don't care anymore. And what happens spiritually is you have tuned God out 
of your life. It's so subtle. This is such a beautiful passage. You compromise in just a subtle way. You take your focus off Jesus and on to other things, albeit good things. But the problem is, is when your attention is on other things, you're not listening to God anymore. And when you're not listening to God anymore, eventually your heart becomes hardened towards him. And it doesn't matter what the preacher says. It doesn't matter what the word of God says. It doesn't matter what your Christian friend speaking into your life says. You don't want to hear it. That's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. And here's why it's dangerous. Because look what happens next. Verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 14, here's the reason you see the word for. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So the flow of the text is simply this. You got to keep your focus because if you don't keep your focus, you're going to compromise. And if you compromise for very long, you're going to become calloused. You're not listening to God anymore. And if you live in a callous state, there will be consequences to come. There will be consequences to come in your life. Now, these verses, verses 12 and 14, are verses that a lot of people like to throw uh, at me and others when they're saying uh, uh, that you can lose your salvation, that a genuine Christian can come to the point where they're not a Christian anymore. And you just need to know that here at Berean, from our elders and your uh, pastor, we do not believe that at all. We believe that a, a genuine Christian is secure, that you cannot lose your salvation. I have preached that numerous of times, and I am absolutely convinced that's what the Word of God says. And what the Word of God teaches, you say, well, what about verses like this? Well, my response is, just read the verse. What does the verse say? Just look at what the verse says. It's simple. Verse 14, read it again. For we have come to share in Christ... If indeed we hold fast our original confidence firm to the end. In other words, what is the proof that you are a Christian? What is the proof that your faith is genuine faith? Answer, perseverance. That's what I've taught you every single time. It's not that you can be a Christian and then become no longer a Christian. It's that we're going to find out if that faith is genuine faith as it perseveres through the ups and downs of life. That is biblical salvation. The problem for many people when they think about uh, Christian salvation is they only focus on the past as though, I'm going to get to preaching, as though the only thing that matters is what happened to you back then, and that doesn't have any relevance whatsoever in the now. Hogwash. That's insane. That is not what the Bible teaches. I just said hogwash. Um, the, the, the Bible says, no, 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 the, the faith you had then still matters now. Because genuine faith is a persevering faith. If the faith doesn't persevere, it proves it wasn't genuine faith. Jesus taught this in the parable of the soils. There is a soil that grows for a while, but it doesn't last. It gets choked out. Or there's the disciple, like Judas, that's associated with the group, 
but eventually disconnects and reveals his true heart. Or what the Apostle John says, they were of us and they went out from us, proving they were never truly of us. Um, Genuine faith, here's a good analogy, is like a good wine. You got to give it time. You got to give it time. Because genuine faith will persevere. Now, that gives us the context of what the warning is here, a warning that we should listen to, and here it is. The Hebrews' warning is this. If you go back, you may not come back, and if you don't come back, you may prove you were never his. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. This is how you know you're truly his. As one preacher said, a faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the start. I like it. A faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the start. Now, the implication of this is so important, and I need you to listen to me, faith family. There are some of you in this faith family, you've been Christian for a long time. You've been a follower of Jesus for, for, for many years, and here's what I want to say to you. If the only thing that can give you assurance is something that happened way back then, there may be great cause for concern for your soul. If all you can do is say, well, you know, pastor, back in 1978, well, hey, praise God for 1978. I'm thankful for what God did in your, I'm thankful that in 1978, you for the first time put your faith in Jesus. That's fantastic. But what about 2018? Where is your faith right now? Have you grown in that faith since then? That's the question because listen to me, Lakeville. Listen to me, Burnsville. Faith is not a muscle you only flex once. The whole Christian life is a life of faith. And genuine faith through the ups and downs and three steps forward and a couple steps back and then three steps forward keeps flexing to the end. That is biblical salvation. Do not let your hardship harden your heart because if you stay there very long, your life may demonstrate that there was never real faith there. Don't Go back. What a powerful warning. Now, what are the things here in this passage quickly that help us keep that focus, that help us keep focus? Just a few things quickly. I'm going to go through these rather, rather fast, so jot these down. Number, number one is, is remember the calling of God. I want to help you keep that focus, not just tell you don't lose your focus. I want to help you keep focus on Christ. And we do that by remembering his calling on our life, that you share in a heavenly calling, verse 1. You belong to God. Christian, you are a part of something glorious. 
Just see this morning the big picture that is your life. Don't forget what a great salvation you've been given. Secondly is what I want to call the calendar of God because the, the, the word that gets emphasized multiple times in this passage is the word today, 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 today. You say, Pastor, you don't understand. It's so hard for me to keep focused because uh, I got this coming next week and, and I know that a month from now I'm going to have to have that conversation and it just feels like one thing after another. It's so hard for me to stay focused right now. I know because you're fighting next week's battles on today's grace. So how do you stay focused? Here's how you stay focused. Today. Today, focus on Jesus. Don't worry about next week. Don't worry about uh, six weeks from now. Just today, on this day, put your eyes on Jesus. And know that when you get to tomorrow, there'll be grace for tomorrow to deal with the trouble that comes tomorrow. Jesus said this, let tomorrow worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. Amen. So focus today. And I tell you, that principle has been so helpful for me and many others as I have shared that because where some of you are, like these Hebrew Christians, is you're so focused on what's coming in terms of the trouble, pain, and hardship that you're not just staying focused on right here, right now. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Brother, sister, he will get you through today. And that begins to help you focus in all the fog. Thirdly, and this really needs its own sermon, uh, but verse 13 may be one of the most famous verses in Hebrews where it says, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. In other words, don't forget the congregation of God. That is, do not disengage from the people of God. Do not disengage with the people of God. And some of you are like, yeah, but I'm here. So why would that apply to me? Yeah, but you may not know what's coming. And when that day comes, something that will be easy for you to do, particularly if you're frustrated at God, is just completely go it alone. That is detrimental to your soul. You need the faith family of God. You need the congregation of God. You need a brother, a sister that's in your life encouraging you. Stay focused because the problem is you can't see clearly. Come on. The suffering that you're in, the difficulty that you're facing has caused your perspective to be skewed. And so you need that friend, that Christian friend that's walking alongside you saying you're not going back. I will not let you go back. If I have to drag you to church, some of you are like, how did he know? If, you, if I have to drag you to church, we're going because you need to be with the people of God. One of my favorite Charles Spurgeon stories of many is he was visiting a man that had disconnected from his church. And he said, I noticed I haven't seen you in church for a while. And he said, yeah, I'm just not sure that's important anymore. I don't really see the, the, the reason behind it. And so I've just decided to quit coming. And it was a very snowy, cold day. And they were having this conversation by the fire. And all Spurgeon did is he walked walked over to the fire with all the coals gathered together, and he spread them all apart. And they just sat back and watched them so quickly lose their flame. And he just turned to the man and he said, that's what happens when you isolate yourself from the people of God. Your heart 
goes cold. If you want to keep focus, make this a priority. Lastly, is remember the confidence in God. Remember the confidence. This is repeated throughout the text. That there was a time in your life when you were confident in God. You believed there was nothing impossible with him. Of course you believe that. He saved you, right? If he saved you, there's nothing impossible with God, right? And there was that time early in your faith where you just believed that God could move mountains, that, that God could do anything. Here's the point, brother and sister. The only thing that's changed since then is your circumstances. The only thing that's changed since then is your circumstances. God hasn't changed. He's still the same sovereign, powerful God that he was to you in the beginning. Trust him now. And as you trust him, your eyes become clear. And your focus is where it needs to be. Some of you will remember Matt Emmons. He was a a participant in the 2004 Olympics in the rifle competition, and he was one shot away from the gold medal. All he needed was an 8.1 score on his final shot, something that he had done many, many, many times before. He's nervous. He knows the gold medal's on the line, and so he sets down. He gets himself comfortable, positioned, uh, takes his aim, fires his shot. Perfect shot perfect shot. And he expected the crowd to respond with great applause. But instead, what he got was a deafening silence. And then he realized what he did. He shot the perfect shot at the wrong target. He'd been aiming at the wrong target the entire time. What a devastating thing to happen in your life. Faith family, it takes focus to finish well. But hear me this morning. It's not just focus on anything. It's focus on the right thing. So if you're considering going back, I plead with you, consider Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this challenging word to us. It is a challenging word. Wow. Our life is full of daily, weekly distractions. We are running in so many different directions, and it's easy to lose focus on what matters most. It's easy to lose focus on Jesus. And I just pray this morning that this, this word, this message will be a, a refocus in our life as we look to Christ, as we consider him. And so, God, I, I pray that you would do that in our hearts. And for those that are here that, that don't know you, their, their life has been focused on all the wrong things. And, and right now they just feel like, I need to surrender. I need to put my faith in Jesus. I want my life to be focused on him from this day forward. I pray that they would flex the muscle of faith and believe and trust in Christ. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.